Today we're going to continue the um, series in Mark, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Mark chapter 6. Uh, last week, Curtis and I, Curtis was here, I was in Spring Branch, uh, we taught on Jesus sending out the 12 disciples, and we learned a little bit about that and how that applies to us, that he gave them authority over evil spirits, he gave them authority to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God, and we've been given that same authority as followers of Jesus Christ. So these men have gone out and they have done just what Jesus sent them out to do. They prayed for people and they were healed, they cast out demons and the demons fleed, they proclaimed the kingdom of God, that hey, the king is here, the Messiah, Jesus is him, he's here, he's setting up his kingdom. They preached that all over the countryside, and, and what happened is things actually happened the way that Jesus said they would happen. And they get really excited, and their excitement overflows because then they finally return back. And so we see uh, verse 30, chapter 6, verse 30 of, of Mark, these disciples are coming back to Jesus, and they're full of energy, full of life, full of stories. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while. And so Jesus, he says, hey, hey guys, this is so great. Like, I want to hear all your stories. Like, every single one, I want to know all the details. Tell me about that demon when he fleed. Like, what did the guy's face look like? Like, what happened when you went out, when I sent you out? You tell me. And so to do that, though, we're going we're gonna to go to a private place. We're going to have a little retreat if you will, and we're just going to pull away from everybody else. It's just going to be us, and you can tell me all about it. And this is what Jesus tells them. He says, the reason why that is, that is, is before many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So there were so many people that wanted a piece of Jesus' time, so many people that wanted to be around the disciples, they could not even eat. Now, we're talking about men here, and this is a problem, right? Like, men want to eat, and so he's like, let's pull away, let's go to a desolate place, but he says, there's so many people we can't eat here. And then they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. So sometimes just Jesus and the disciples. Then look at verse 33. Now, now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So, so Jesus has got his guys. Hey, let, let me, I want to hear your stories. Let's get in this boat and go. Let's quietly away, bow by ourselves to a desolate place. But what happened is all these people saw where they were going, and it says on foot they, they get out and they run to the desolate place. So now that desolate place isn't so desolate anymore because there's a bunch of people there. And he gets there, and it says in verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. If you have your Bible, underline that right there. This is the, the, really the point today. Is it says that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many, many things. Now, now, all of us probably have experienced compassion in some way or another. We all probably have stories of some kind of compassion. Uh, when I was a kid in, in little elementary school, um, you know, I was one of those gifted kids. I wore husky jeans. Anybody else wear husky jeans at JCPenney? You know, the, you had to go to JCPenney in the husky section. You just didn't want your friends to see you. Yeah, that was me. And so I wore husky jeans. So I was a, I was a big kid, but I was a little, like, little age kid. I was a big kid, and I went to um, an elementary that was in the middle of our town, very small town. And so because it was in the middle of the town, they had to have this, uh, like, 12 or 15-foot chain-link fence around our recess area. Our recess area was just a bunch of black top. It had a basketball court on it, a few little monkey bars and whatnot. But then it had this tall fence all the way around it because uh, the balls were obviously wanted to stay in the playground. The teachers would get sick of going out. And so they had this tall, tall fence to try to keep them contained. And so one of the things we would do is we would get on the other end of the playground and we would kick balls as hard as we could. And sometimes we would try to get them over 
the fence, and it really made the teacher's day. Like, they loved it. Like, not, not really. So, so one day, I, I, we're out there, and we're playing ball with just like the guys do, right? We're kicking balls, and so I get my ball, and I set it down, and uh, just felt the Holy Spirit on me. It was so good. And I set this ball down, and I take a few steps back. You know, I'm feeling like Pele, and I'm just going to lay into this with my husky jeans. And, uh, and uh, I take a few steps, and I just blast this ball. I mean, it was beautiful. I mean, it even had like a little arc on it. You know what I'm talking about? Like a spin the ball, like beautiful power shot. Well, well, my teacher at the time, she was on recess duty. And now to give you a little piece of my teacher, you know, who, what kind of lady this is. This is a very intense lady. I mean, I would give you her name, but she may kill me if she knows I'm talking about this. I'm not going to give her her name. But she was a very intense lady, so intense that, that she, she was all about order in her classroom. Uh, and so she, if your desk was out of order, you know, she told you once, you weren't going to get a second chance. She would literally, I, I watched her several times, pick up the desk and just dump it out in front of all the kids and say, this needs to be redone. And she would like, like, like look like gorilla, like Tarzan. Like this little, little lady, like intimidating. And so this is the kind of lady that was my teacher. She really was a great teacher. But she was intense, and so that day, though, in God's sovereignty, she was um, working the recess. And, uh, you know, in that day, uh, recess meant you had a whistle, and you'd kind of twist it around, and you would walk the perimeter, right, kind of of the recess area. And by God's timing, um, when I had this amazing kick that, like, would have made you so proud of to be, me to be a pastor. Um, I, I, that ball was flying through the air. And in God's just perfect timing, uh, my teacher happened to be walking the baseline of, of the, the blacktop of the basketball court. And she's walking along, you know, twisting her little thing, just beautiful day. And all of a sudden, that, that ball and her head, they, they make um, an impact together. Boom! And remember I told you about that long chain-link fence, that tall chain-link fence? Well, you know, the tall, t- it kind of gives a little bit because there's not a lot of support this way. And so that ball hits her in the side of the face, and she just falls over and kind of grabs herself by the fence. And this fence gives, and so she's like almost 45-degree angle like this, like hanging on. And, and in this moment, the, uh, the playground stops. <laughs> like, like the Matrix movie, like, because they know my teacher and, and who she's like. And so she's sitting there, and she finally kind of comes to herself, and she figures out how to, like, lean against that, and she gets up, and she turns around. Who was that? Now, in this moment, I had to make a decision. What do I do? Uh, do, do I, I point to my best friend, Max, and say, hey, it was, it was Max. Max, what, why did you do that, man? Like, what do I do? Or do I just not say anything at all? Or, or do I do what my parents had taught me to do? And... And, and do I say it was me? And so in that moment, you know, the spirit was on me, I guess, again. And, and, uh, and I said, it, it, was, it was me, man. And I stepped up. And she said, get to the wall. Anybody else remember the wall? Terrible place to be. Terrible place to be. So she gathers herself. And a few minutes later, she comes over to me. And I'm sitting at the wall. And I'm, you know, trying to look sweet. And she comes over and, and starts talking to me. Now, half her face is red and half is white. And she's looking at me, she's, hey, hey, Derek, that was really bad what you did, and you are going to have no balls for three weeks. I, lot my, I thought my life was over, like three weeks, no balls. And then I get sent to the principal's office, they, they call my parents and tell them what happened, and, and, uh, and I, the next day my mom taught me a lesson in compassion. Uh, she sent me to school with flowers. I had to take flowers to my teachers, one of the most embarrassing things I've ever had to do, 
and I had to give these flowers as an act of compassion to my teacher. Now, my mom had a lot of compassion. She is a very compassionate person. She had compassion, of course, for my teacher. She cared for her, but I think the more compassion was for me because she wanted me to go to college someday, and she didn't want this one episode in first grade to ruin everything, and so she had compassion on me. She said, I'm going to make your mistake right, Derek. I'm going to send you with flowers, and you're going to learn a little bit about compassion. I think if we're honest today, most of us have experienced compassion, whether we've extended that or we've received compassion, just like my mom extended it to my teacher and to me. This is the definition of compassion. It literally means to suffer together. Among emotional researchers, it is defined as the feeling that arises when you are confronted with another's suffering and feel motivated to relieve that suffering. So so Jesus here in this story, it says that he had compassion on them. He recognized their need both spiritually and physically. And the compassion compelled him to step into the situation. So in your notes, the first thing you can write down is, is that compassion often precedes a move of God. Compassion often precedes a move of, of God. And we see this in, in this context. But if you've got your Bible, just look over to, to, to Mark chapter 8, verse 2. This is another story of Jesus feeding 4,000 this time. Look at verse 2. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. So, so once again, Jesus is compelled by compassion before he does a miraculous work of God. You see, compassion precedes oftentimes a move of God. And then if you look in Luke chapter 7, you don't have to turn there. I can read it if you don't have your Bible that quick. Jesus has come upon a, a widow lady. And this widow has just lost her son in verse 13, Luke chapter 7. And when the Lord saw her, this is Jesus, he had compassion on her. Jesus, it says, had compassion on her. And he said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bear. And the bear stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. Supernatural miracle. Supernatural work of God. A dead man, horizontal, goes vertical and comes back to life. Only God could do that. Amen? Amen. But what preceded that miracle? Compassion preceded that miracle. And this is oftentimes what we see in the scriptures. And what I love about Jesus when I look at Jesus is every time I look at Jesus, I see God himself. If I want to know what's the heart of God, I look at the heart of Jesus. If I want to know the thoughts of God, I look at the thoughts of Jesus. And we know that the Old Testament oftentimes calls God compassionate. Even God himself, uh, in Exodus 34, he calls himself compassionate. He says, Yahweh is compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, rich in faithful love and truth. So God, he calls himself compassionate. And then we see Jesus, oftentimes he was driven by compassion that led to miraculous works of God. Now, now here's the beautiful thing about us gathered together. Um, Our desire as followers of Jesus... It's to be conformed into his image. And what's the word that we use for that? The, the word is we want to be disciples of Jesus. We, we are actually, in, in fact, disciples of Jesus. And part of being a disciple is I become more and more like in thought 
in my words and in my actions. And so if we see one of God's characteristics that's throughout the Bible is compassion. And then we get to Jesus and we see that he was motivated by compassion. That God used his compassion to bring about miraculous works. Then we should also say, man, maybe compassion should be higher on my list of things that I want to be known for. And, and Paul, the Apostle Paul, he wrote this to the church of Colossae. And, and this is a, a beautiful section of scripture. I use it almost every wedding that I, that I lead. I just led one yesterday. And out of this context of Colossians 3.12, he writes, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, listen, compassionate hearts. So, so Paul goes through a list, and of course he, he says put on love a little bit later, which is, is important. But the first thing that Paul says as a follower of Jesus Christ, it says put on a compassionate heart. This is the guy who wrote a lot of the New Testament. We should take, take um, joy and take note that he is saying that we should be people of compassion because Jesus was a person of compassion. And today, though, you say, how do I, how do I become more compassionate? That should be a question for all of us. If Jesus was compassionate, we should say, how do I become more like Jesus, right? Well, here's two things that I think you can take away from today that help us grow in compassion. They're in your notes if you want to write this down. Number one, we must value people. If we want to grow in compassion, we've got to value people. We've got to see others as God sees them. Now, now when God was creating uh, creation and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were there in perfect communion, in perfect fellowship. Uh, it says that they got to the point where they were about to create man. And what's it say? He's, he, the, the Trinity say, let us, the Trinity, create man in our image. Now, now it doesn't say let's create some men in our image. So, so your nasty boss at work, like it or not, is created in God's image. The, the person that you're so thankful for that you only see once at Christmas time a year, like that person, that uncle, that aunt, that cousin that you just can't stand that seems to be a child of Satan, they are image bearers of God. Now, now this will transform your life. It'll transform your work. It'll, it'll transform your influence. Wherever you go, if you embrace and live out this one thing, that every single person that has breath is created in the image of God. Every single person reflects the image of God. Every single person you do, every single person does. And and we know that God values every single person. And so if we want to grow in compassion, I first have to value other people. And that requires me to die to myself. That requires me to overlook many obvious flaws in order to see the hidden image of the God that they bear image of. It's not easy. It requires a, a ton of grace. It requires a lot of forgiveness. But it's what we're called to as disciples of God. And, and here's two really practical things you can do this week. Number one, how do I grow to value people? Number one, I think if you start to look people in the eyes when you're talking to them. It's, it's really hard to, to, to downplay somebody's value or to look at somebody as an object or a project if I look them in the eyes. And so, so what if this week you said, man, the one simple little step I'm going to take is I'm going to start looking people in the eyes because this is the culture that I know of when I go to the store. It's this right here. 
And, and, and when I go to a restaurant to be with my wife on a date, and I see other people on, with their wives on a date, I, I wonder if they brought their thousand Facebook friends with them if they're going to eat and pay for the bill. Because this is where people are most of the time. Like, if you want to be different from the world right now and stand out at your job, look at people in the eye and show them that you value them. It'll change everything, and it'll help you see people as God sees them, because you'll be present, and you'll be looking at them as people. It changed everything for me when I began to look at people in the eye, and I would challenge you to do the same thing. Number two is, is I learned a long time ago from one of my mentors, Joe. We were on a business trip in Pennsylvania, and he said, hey, today we're going to just do an exercise um, to grow as a disciple of Christ. Every person that we meet today, we're going to pray a blessing over them in our heads. So we did that that day, and I'd meet, you know, somebody at the chemical plant, no idea who they were, but, but I would, in my head, be praying, blessing over them. Isn't that what God would be doing? <laughs> and, and while I'm praying a blessing, I'm looking them in the eyes, and what am I doing? I'm, I'm growing in my value for people. And you can't have compassion on somebody that you have no value for. And so value and uh, compassion go hand in hand. So if we're going to be a people that are following Jesus, this week my challenge for you is to look people in the eye. And number two, just pick one day, pick two days, whatever you want. And you pray for every single person that you lock eyes with, that you shake their hand, which you say hello. It will transform how you view people. It will transform how you view people as being valuable. You will begin to see people as God sees them. Number two, if we're going to go, grow in compassion, we've got to be willing to be interrupted. Now, most of us are just like, hey, Derek, I took number one. I'm going to drop number two. That'll be some other future time. Because in our culture, we're like, how can I be the most efficient person I can be? How can I get from point A to point B with no interruptions? I've got my plans. I've got my agenda set. I've got no room in my agenda, by the way, for anybody to talk to me at the grocery checkout. Like, no, don't talk to me. I'm not making any eye contact with you. No way am I going to help that person on the side of the road in my own neighborhood. Oh, by the way, they're my neighbor. Why? We're not willing to be interrupted. And here's what we see in this story. Jesus was going to a place to get away from people. It's good sometimes to get away from people. Everybody said amen. But, but here, here's what Jesus wasn't willing to do. He wasn't willing to sacrifice his awareness of God to be interrupted by what God wanted to do. So on his way to be away from people, he recognized God was doing something, and he saw people, he had compassion on them, he was willing to be interrupted. And this is really the MO of Jesus throughout his entire ministry on this earth when he walked for three and a half years in public ministry. He oftentimes had his group of disciples, or even a bigger group, and they were going from somewhere somewhere else, or he was going to teach, and what would happen right in the middle of that, something different than planned happened, and he was interrupted. Uh, one time, Jesus was headed on a boat, and he gets off the boat, and he's headed to go heal somebody's daughter, and as soon as he gets off the boat, there's a demon-possessed man that gets there. Talk about interrupted, like boom. Jesus didn't say, hey, 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 demon-possessed guy, I'll be back in a few days. No, he, he allowed himself to be interrupted, and he looked at this man, and he cast out the demon, and he showed that he had value for this man. Then, then he left that, and he was headed to go see this daughter again. And, and along the way, uh, uh, this woman, insignificant in the culture, a woman who had the issue of blood, considered unclean, could not be around, uh, she just touched his garment. And it says the power came out of Jesus. He recognized that. He didn't just keep going to not be interrupted. He, he stops everybody. He said, hey, hey, somebody just touched me. 
And he turns around, and what did he do? He demonstrated value for this woman. He, he calls her daughter. And he said, you, you've been healed. He, he was willing to be interrupted. And then he went on from there and finally went and healed the little girl. You see, Jesus had compassion. He valued people, and he was willing to be interrupted. And I think if we're going to take on this compassion of Jesus, we've got to do both. We've got to be willing to value people and be willing to be interrupted by God, to be aware that God may be doing something, and it may not line up with your schedule that day. And if we do those two things, I think what you'll see is we're going to grow as individuals in compassion, and more and more in our church, we're going to have a compassionate heart that matches that of God. And what we know about God is, is that he meets the needs of the needy. He came for the sick and not the ones who believe they are already well. And so therefore, we should expect to encounter God when we engage with people who are in need. Now, now this is an important um, concept. See, without compassion, I think we're going to have it on the screen, without compassion, you will overlook the needs of the people around you, and by doing so, you will miss out on seeing God supernaturally meet those needs. Now, I, I think if we're being honest in this room today, all of us would love to be used by God supernaturally, right? Anybody else? I mean, I hope all of us would raise our hands and say, yeah, God, use me. Like, perform a miracle. Let me pray for somebody and, and see their arm grow out. Let me pray for somebody and see a broken bone fixed. Let me pray for somebody's finances and say, we all want this, but are we willing to do the, what comes before that? See, if I don't have compassion that I'm not even going to see the need that's already around me. And if I don't see the need that's already around me, I'm not going to engage in that need. And if I don't engage in that need, I'm going to miss out on God using me supernaturally to meet those needs. You following me? See, compassion precedes a move of God oftentimes. And if we want to be used by God, we've got to be willing to be interrupted and we've got to value people. Now, Jesus told this parable, um, uh, the Good Samaritan. Most of us have heard this, this story. There was a man who was beat up and left for dead in the story, and he was over on the side of the road. And a priest and Levi, they come by. Now, these are two guys that are religious. You would think, like, these two guys of all people would stop and help this man. Like, if you were thinking of a story, they would be the ones that helped him. But, but we know that the priest and the Levi, they were going from point A to point B. They had an agenda. They had a plan. They had a calendar event waiting for them. And so they're they walking along. They see the man who was left for dead. And what's it say that, that they do? They, they leave that side of the road. They go all the way to the other side of the road. So they're not even close to the guy. They don't have to smell him. They don't have to see him. They don't have to worry about him. And they keep on walking. Uh, now, the, the great Dr. Um, Martin Luther King, he, he shared this um, parable in his last speech that he ever gave. And he's telling the story, the parable. And he says, you know, there's a difference between the priest and the Levite, what they did, and, and the good Samaritan. See, the priest and the Levite, they, they left to go on the other side. And the first question they asked was, what is it going to cost me if I help him? Like, if I go over and help this man, like my schedule's shot, what if he's dead and then I've just touched a dead person so I become unclean? So they ask, what is it going to cost me? But the Samaritan comes along and he sees the dead person and it says what? What drove him to go over and check on the man? What's Jesus say? He was filled with compassion. Compassion precedes the move of God. And it says that he went over and he helped the guy. He sacrificed his own belongings to help this man. And, and the great doctor said this, Dr. Martin Luther King, he said uh, the difference was they asked, what's it going to cost me? He asked, what is it going to cost that man if I don't stop? 
See, see, big, big, big difference. See, see, if we're going to be a people of compassion that see God move through our life, we've got to first value people like that Samaritan did. And then, just like the Samaritan, we've got to be willing to be interrupted when God puts it on our path. Compassion oftentimes precedes a move of God. Let's go back to Mark and finish this up. Verse 35 of chapter 6. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and village and buy them something to eat. But he answered them, Jesus, he said, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And Jesus said to them, This is important. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. Now underline that in the Bible if you, if you have your Bible open. Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, we have five and two fish. Then he commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 basketful of broken pieces of fish. And those who ate the loaves... For 5,000 men. <laughs> it's a, a beautiful story, but the one thing I want to pull out, which there's a lot of things we could pull out of this, the one thing I wanted to close with is the last point in your listening, God, is that God supernaturally increases our natural. God supernaturally increases our natural. You see, we serve a God of miracles. We serve a God who delights in doing the impossible. And what he tells his disciples, hey, go and see what you already have. I, I love that because what's he doing? He's inviting them into the miracle. He's saying, hey, hey, will you trust me with what you have and then let me bless it and let me multiply it and let me do my work. Will you trust me with what you have. I think this is a beautiful aspect of the story that honestly I, I've missed out a lot of times. You see, many of us are asking God for a miracle in our life. Many of us are saying, God, will you have a breakthrough in my finances? God, will you bring healing to my body? And what does God tell these guys when they need a miracle? Go and see what you already have and bring that to me. See, in the context, he's talking about bread and fish. And, and honestly, I think sometimes that is the case. I'm praying for finances and my trusting God with my tithe. I'm praying for a relationship that is not going well. Am I showing love and compassion? Am I willing to bring to God what I already have and trust him to do his thing? You see, I think the, the, it also translates to faith, right? In Matthew 17... Jesus is teaching on faith, and he says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, that's tiny, it's little, 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 little. He says, if you have just that much faith, you can say to this mountain, jump into the sea, and it will. Now, now, now we know that wasn't an exact, hey, this is what you should go do, tell that mountain to move. Now, now could you do that if God was on that? Yeah, no question. But the picture that Jesus is pointing in this teaching is that, man, just a, a little bit, if you take that little bit that you already have and you put it at my feet, I will do far more exceedingly than you can ever imagine. See, this is the beauty of what Jesus is doing. He's saying, hey, 
Just bring what you have. Now, now the question is, what if they only had one fish and one loaf? Would it have been a, a bigger miracle? No. What if he had 20 pieces of bread and 20 fish? Would the miracle have been any different? No. It doesn't matter what you start with. The fact is that we got to be trusting and faithful to say, God, will you do with this what I can't do? Will you multiply it? Will you bring your blessing? Will you speak life into it? Will you breathe blessing upon it? Would you do what only you can do, God, with whatever I have? And honestly, I think this, as a people of God, in the kingdom of God, this is what he's asking us to do oftentimes in our prayers. Derek, will you you just bring what I've already given you and will you offer it up to me? One of the examples I was thinking of this week was when I started to preach. Uh, I was in the restroom at our church in Ohio and uh, our lead pastor was coming. We were passing in the men's restroom, which is where God works oftentimes. And um, and as we're passing, he said, hey, Derek, I put you on the preaching schedule. Is that okay? And in that moment, I said, yeah, sure, that would be great. I had never preached before. And honestly, I hated public speaking. I hated it. Oh, my goodness. Scared to death. But, but as I got closer and closer to beginning to open up the word and preach, what I realized is that I was called to be faithful. What God was asking me was, Derek, will you bring what you have to the table and let me bless it and anoint it and make it more than you could ever dream of? And so I stepped into that pulpit that day and I said, God, listen, I don't have a seminary degree. I don't have the the pedigree. I don't have even a desire to be here today, honestly. Would you use this? Would you take this faith offering and would you make it more than I could ever dream. And I'm telling you, if I would have known seven years later, I would be standing at a church that I think is one of the best churches in America. And I would be opening up the word of God in front of a group of people who have more influence than I could ever imagine. If God can do that in my life, just a simple man from a country town, to be where I just said, God, will you use what I have? And will you anoint it? Like, what does God want to do in your life with what you're asking him for? What do you, he said, will you, will you bring to the table what you have? And let me do more than you ever thought possible. What if that was how God wants to answer the prayers you're praying? What we learn about this is that God is compassionate. He longs to be with his people, to meet the needs of his people. We learn that God is able. There's not one thing that God can't do in the kingdom, right? There's not one thing that's off the table. Then we also see that God's MO is he invites people into the miraculous. He invites people to experience the kingdom of God and to be used to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God in this world. That's where you and I come in. We're invited. Will we stay, stay obedient and faithful to what he's called us to? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that... uh, when you walked this earth, Jesus, that you taught very clearly and that you demonstrated the kingdom with your words and with your actions. Father, I thank you that you give us your Holy Spirit to um, encourage us, to convict us, to mold us, to pour out the Father's love, to teach us, to lead us, to comfort us. And so, Lord, I'm asking that even this, this morning, as you've stirred some faith, as you've given some clarity as you've called us to be people of compassion, uh, 
that we would take those steps this week and be obedient and be faithful. That we would be more like you this week, that we would have a bigger, greater compassion and that, that would drive us to engage with people, to value people, to love people, and to be willing to be interrupted for the name of Jesus and no other name. I thank you for what you're going to do this week. I ask that there would be some supernatural encounters, that there would be some answered prayers that started in this room, but then to leave this room as we scatter, that out in the community we would see your kingdom come as it is in heaven this week. Not because we deserve it, but because we've been faithful and we trust in you, the author and perfecter of every good thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, go ahead and stand. We're going to end with worship one last time. Uh, Two specific things I want us to pray through. Number one, if you're like, man, I'm not a very compassionate person. Maybe your heart's a little hard this morning. Maybe you're like, man, I don't even care about that gushy stuff. But if you love Jesus and you say, I want to be more like Jesus, maybe today you say, hey, I just want God to thaw out my heart a little bit. Then you come forward and you just say, hey, I want to grow in compassion. Would you pray with me? Number two is if you're in a situation like these disciples where like, I don't know how to do anything in this situation. I don't know how God wants to do. I'm just asking God, God, will you show up? Will you bring healing to my body? Will you bring healing to this relationship? Will you bring life into my finances? Would you come, Lord, and be God? If that's you today, then maybe today you just want to take a step out and say,